Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Wednesday, January 4th. Welcome to the 2023 episodes of the show. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Uh, hopefully everyone had an enjoyable holiday season. I know with the <laughs> the airline trouble that I saw on Twitter throughout the last few weeks, it was probably a pretty miserable experience if you had to fly anywhere. You know, I saw you attempted to fly and uh, that never, that gave never worked up. out. Yeah, you just gave up. We were caught up in the uh, Southwest Airlines imbroglio. Uh, we went to. We actually drugged our dogs so that we could take our dogs on a flight, even though they're not very good dogs. And so we had the dogs. They were the drugs were uh, like you know wearing like waning off as you know our flight keeps getting pushed out and pushed out 20 minutes pushed out 20 minutes pushed out 20 minutes dogs starting to wake up and look around and and growl at people and we're like oh no this is going badly and then i don't know why they should have just canceled it early but they kept thinking for some reason that they could do it while san jose around us which is a southwest hub was descending into utter chaos people were screaming and crying and yelling berating people i've never seen uh san jose like that uh so we finally just gave up and drove down we drove down through the rains it was like a 10-hour drive and yeah thanks southwest yeah i get that the the stress especially when you're trying to be somewhere to see family or going on vacation and and things don't go well i understand being as frustrated as a person can be about that i felt terrible for all the people who actually were there who were working the people that were trying to fix a problem that they really couldn't fix because they didn't create the problem. Yeah. Right? They they didn't they didn't sell tickets for flights that couldn't be served and Well, it's pretty interesting. It's it's like a multi-layered thing. So one of the parts is that Southwest doesn't have a major hub in like a southern city where, you know, a, a major southern city. So they're, you know, like Delta is in Atlanta. If there's if there's a problem somewhere, they can get hubs out of it. They can get people out of Atlanta. Also, when you have a major hub, as opposed to like a San Jose, you have a lot of people living by the hub, right? So there's a lot of Delta people who live in Atlanta. So if there's any and every problem with one set of Delta people, they usually have redundancy where there's other people that live in their hub. But Southwest is sort of spread out. And that seems brilliant at first because they're spread out to all these little mini hubs, San Jose, Burbank, you know, like all the like smaller places. And it's really fun to fly those places because it's easier to get in and out of those airports. Like doing like literally San Jose to Burbank is like the easiest way to get down to LA. It's like the, it's you, you like can step into a car, like when you get out of Burbank. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, they've, they've set up these like sort of mini, they're like, they take, they took all the second like stuff, but they also 
didn't invest in technology. And this is actually a lesson I think that's important for major league teams, which is that like, you know, there are teams out there that have state-of-the-art communication software that houses all of their data and all of the things that they need to do to talk to each other. And those teams are going to be far out in front of teams that don't have that technology connecting all of their people in their organization. And it just means more opportunity for ideas, more opportunity for, uh, you know, creating new pathways, more opportunity for better coaching. All of it is wrapped up, better scouting. You know, it's uh, it's all wrapped up into that. And that's what happened to Southwest Airlines. They had a crappy old system that got overwhelmed really quickly. Like, we got we didn't get a text notice that we were canceled. We got the the, the, the guy got on the horn and told me we were canceled. And then we didn't get rescheduled. We finally got auto-booked onto a flight out of San Diego, which how do they know they got uh, we got down to San Diego, uh, <laughs> back up to uh, San Francisco like yesterday. And my wife was like, uh-uh, you are not going to auto-book me on something and then say I missed my flight. I did not miss any flights. <laughs> so the booking system got overwhelmed. And it's, I think it's uh, sadly, like there's a little bit of a, a story there where it's like, you know, teams should invest in technology and not just the type types of technology. They're thinking, you know, oh, edutronic and this and that. Sometimes it's more simply how you communicate. And uh, in a wonderful transition, don't let yourself be like Southwest this draft season, right? Prepare. Do all the things you have to do. Do all the research. Put all the work in and have, have contingency plans for Maybe every some, Think about some strategy. of those softwares that are out there to help you track your draft and track your team as you're going along. Yeah. So when we last spoke, I believe Carlos Correa was in agreement on a contract with the Mets and there was still the issue of the physical and he's still in limbo as of now, as of Wednesday morning on the West Coast. It sounds like he's resuming talks with the Mets at this point, but other I saw options some could item. be in play. I, can't, I wish I would love to source it, but I, you know, I saw some item that like the Mets are uh, trying to um, are, are like in communication with the commissioner's office, trying to like come up with uh, some interesting ways to structure the contract. So. I started to think about this more from a fantasy perspective because I jumped into a draft Champions League, a 50-round, no-in-season pickups draft last week. So that's still going on right now. It's one of the NFBC drafts. I don't think the issue with Carlos Correa is anything in the near term. I think it it's more what happens more like to his surgically question. repaired leg yeah. long term, right? Like what kinds of issues is he going to run into? Is he going to miss significant time if he needs a follow-up surgery or if he has a follow-up surgery how will that impact his mobility i think those are the types of questions that are are really more in play and what i'm really curious to see is if this drags out this this new agreement drags out long enough are people going to overreact in the 2023 draft season for a little while and actually discount him more than they should in light of this sort of uncertainty which again seems to be more focused on years down the road as opposed to the upcoming season yeah, I mean, it'll it'll be a good lineup around him. There might be a fair amount of load management, especially if they're worried about the long-term ankles. So he may only sort of slot in at 550, 600 plate appearances and may be like slightly dangerous in weekly lineups where, you know, oh, they have a day off and, uh, and, you, and you think they've got like, you know, especially if they're like on those two, uh, two game slates where you're like, 
oh, it's Carlos Correa for two games or like Luis Renjifo for four. And so you think, oh, well, it's still it's still Carlos Correa for two, right? And then uh, he misses one of those games. And you're like, oh, man, maybe it was Renjifo for four, you know? So he's going to create some issues, uh, but as the price drops, those issues become less important. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because he doesn't steal bases that Carlos Correa is a little underpriced anyway relative mm -hmm. to his contributions, and now you might get that extra level of discount. But load management also probably depends on the organization that he lands in, too. Some teams care more about that than others. If he yeah, ended the Giants up in San Francisco, would've, that would have been there. Yeah, Giants would have managed him, yeah. Other teams might say, "No, we're gonna we're gonna push you." Maybe in the early part of the day, we'll push you more, and then later we'll we'll do some load management stuff. So that could vary based on the final landing spot for him as well. But still in limbo, at least at this time. A trade happened since we last spoke. A really fun trade. The Blue Jays acquired Dalton Varsho from the Diamondbacks with Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. going back to Arizona, which really kind of did a few things. It, it unclogged a logjam in the Arizona outfield, and it actually fixed the catching depth situation in Toronto. Because when you looked at the Jays, you'd see Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen and Moreno, and you couldn't really find a way to get all three of those guys in the lineup consistently together. So probably a really good trade for both sides. Let's start with the Varsho side of this and expectations for him landing on a better team at the very least. I mean, supporting cast difference from the 2023 Jays compared to the 2022 Diamondbacks, I think the counting stats should get a pretty nice boost right off the top. Yeah, it is interesting that uh, I think of Toronto as uh, a park that's that increases homers. Um, and uh, that is sort of the case. Um, yeah, actually, where was I looking that that he should be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hate park factors, man. Um, the StatCast park <laughs> factor. I don't know where I was looking. I was like, what? This, the, they're like similar in home run park factors. It must be on the Fangraphs ones. But on StatCast, uh, the Blue Jays are the ninth friendliest for home runs. Uh, and the D-backs um, over the last three years have been 25th most friendly. So it should help his home runs. Uh, it should help the runs and RBI factor. Uh, you know, he's as fast as Randy Orozarena to first base. Um, and Rymel Tapia, and like he's a fast guy. Uh, so even if he slows down a little bit, um, I think with the new rules, uh, I know the, the Blue Jays didn't take off as a team last year. Um, they were they were twenty first in stolen bases, uh, but it's not so far down the list that I feel like they won't take off. You know what I mean? I feel like they'll engineer it up, and 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 Varsho will get you know, 15 to 20 stolen bases. So I think, uh, I know this, the projections have him uh, for almost exactly what he did last year, which would be like a 235 average. This is steamer, 26 homers and 13 stolen bases. But I think uh, there's some upside for uh, 30 homers and uh, 15 to 20 stolen bases, depending on the rules. So that part's all good and gravy. One thing that I did notice was that over the course of the year, uh, the approach to him changed, and he saw a lot more sinkers. His uh, pitch type value on the sinker is, is negative, so he did not do that well against sinkers. And what I saw in the numbers was he expands uh, off the bottom of the zone against sinkers, uh, and righties can throw him sinkers down off the bottom of the zone. Now, that's like 
a, a strategy that's gone out of favor as people have developed swings to kind of lift the low ball. Uh, but uh, he's not that kind of hitter. And so teams are going to be able to pitch to him with a sinker off the bottom of the zone. Uh, I don't know how much uh, to worry about that because as all this was happening over the course of the season, like his K rate um, was, was fine. I mean, it wasn't, uh, it didn't get much worse. Um, and uh, it was held steady around 25% until the last like two weeks where it kind of went up last three weeks. So um, I still think he can probably strike out around 25% of the time. And I think he's shown some adjustments. He pulled the ball a lot more last year um, and barreled the ball a lot better. And he's, you know, he's only got a thousand plate appearances and he's been league average through that. Um, but he offers defensive versatility. And I think the upside of being something like 20% better than league average with the bat. So I think it was a good, I think it was a good trade. Uh, the D-backs, I think Moreno is probably a better offensive catcher than Kelly. Um, and they were they were pretty good up the middle with Carroll and Thomas. And uh, Gurriel gets them past any issues they might have with Thomas's development, right? If McCarthy takes a step forward, uh, a step backward, then it can be Gurriel, Carroll, Thomas. You know, if anybody of them takes a step backwards, then Gurriel will sort of paper over that. If they're all good, uh, what do you think, uh, what happens next year if they're all good? Carroll, Thomas, McCarthy, and Gurriel. Because I think Kyle Lewis is mostly a DH at this point. I think they can rely on having flexibility in the DH spot because of Lewis's injury history. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think they necessarily have to pencil in Kyle Lewis for more than a, a small side platoon role to start. And if he's healthy or other people are hurt, then he can play more. Like, that's that's fine. But I think now they've got good balance on this depth chart. I like the way this this kind of like smooths everything out. They're pretty left-handed in that group of outfielders. I mean, Lewis is obviously a righty, but Carroll's a lefty. McCarthy's a lefty. Paven Smith, who's still there, is a lefty. So now they've got a few more pieces that fit together on the roster. Alec Thomas, also a lefty. I think the ideal outfield for them is actually Thomas, Carroll, and McCarthy, at least against righties with Guriel as the DH. And then I think whoever struggles the most against same-handed pitching of that first three probably sits against the lefties. They move Guriel into the outfield, and that's when Lewis comes in as the DH. Yeah, I think I think there's enough. Uh, this is obviously a team that also values versatility. They bring in Evan Longoria, uh, even though Josh Rojas uh, could be the starter for them at third. Um, and now that makes Josh Rojas in an interesting position. He's back to kind of utility because... Uh, Cattell Marte is probably the second baseman. And I don't know if Rojas really profiles as a shortstop. So that's a pretty good hitter to have as an extra guy. Um, and uh, Emmanuel Rivera is still there. So they've got uh, backups and some useful bits all over the place. The big, and, and I could convince myself that this team is on the rise, right? Because uh, we liked Ryan Nelson a little bit, uh, the, the pitcher that came and debuted for them last year. Drew Jameson did pretty well. Brandon Fott uh, is pretty exciting as a uh, minor leaguer. Uh, we love Zach Gallen. This is a, uh, uh, he's a friend of the, of the broadcast here. Uh, Doesn't know it, but he is. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the bullpen is like one of the last things you fix and they've got, you know, they had their all-star was in there and. Um, you know, they've got some interesting names down there. The big problem here is shortstop. And I don't believe in Nick Ahmed 
really is anything other than a stopgap. I don't believe in Perdomo, although you did uh, bring up um, some interesting bits about Perdomo's profile um, in in a past uh, broadcast, and um, it's I think it's I think Jordan Lawler. It's a lot to put on the shoulders of any one player. Uh, but for a player that hit double A and had his first real stumble last year, uh, there's a lot on him. I think if he can go back to, he was, he had, uh, you know, near 150 WRC pluses, um, you know, coming into last year at double A, if he can get back to 130, 140 WRC plus and double A in his second attempt, I don't think he'll be there that long, especially if the D backs are winning. Um, I mean, that, that is the easiest plug and play where I see, you know, Lawler, uh, being an extreme update upgrade there. And then all of a sudden you can talk yourself into this lineup everywhere. Um, and, and then you're just looking for the bullpen either to get lucky or, or, or trade or, or get better. So over the next few couple of years, I think shortstop is where this team needs the most help. Yeah, I think the plan would be for Lawler to be that guy sooner rather than later. They could stop gap it with the combination of veterans they have. At the very least, Perdomo can be a good defender there and be the nine hitter. If they have more offense up and down the lineup, they can live with that for a little while. I guess the question is, would you rather, if you're taking a shot in a deep league, whether that's an NL-only league or it could be a draft and hold, the situation I'm in right now, and you get to like round 40 of a league like that, and you're just looking for guys who are going to play, are you more comfortable taking the shot on Perdomo because of his glove for this season, or are you more interested in taking the chance on Lawler if you feel like you have enough playing time already locked in? Because they're sitting there right next to each other, and I've got a turn coming up, and I could actually use one more shortstop. So help me make the pick. What do you think makes more sense if you're trying to invest in Arizona's shortstop situation? Perdomo's defense was only above average. Not elite, but good, like good enough to play. Yeah. Ahmed was pretty good, but I think I have to go back to 2021 to get any sort of sample. He was hurt pretty badly last year, too. Yeah, Nick Ahmed was 14th in the league in outs above average. So I think that actually does set up a bit of a problem. You're If you're buying Perdomo for the plate appearances because you think the glove will get him in there, what if Nick Ahmed's glove is better and neither of their bats is that great? Now you just bought nothing. Right, because Perdomo could get optioned again. Yeah, especially if Nick Ahmed is healthy. You know, Nick Ahmed had like a real rough time uh, with, I think it was like some COVID plus uh, whatever he was going on. So uh, I think his, his leg. So uh, if he just had a really good off season, he comes back in, he looks fine and he's the plus defender, then he's the guy that plays. Uh, so I think that's a rough situation where there's basically three guys and I would take uh, none of the above maybe in a DC. <laughs> That's... Unless I was like really sure that I had, you know, two, if I had, it was my fourth shortstop. Yeah. I mean, I only, I only allow myself in DCs like two, two or three prospects top tops because mm-hmm. I just want playing time. Yeah. And I've already got a little bit of, of a situation. I, I took Joey Ortiz for the Orioles as a, a younger shortstop that I'm hoping finds a lot of playing time. So I can't really miss no. on this pick. I need no. to be, more in tune with how the depth chart's actually going to play out. I mean, it's it's ugly at this point in a in a fifty round draft, as people who haven't done it can probably imagine. If you've been in it, even, you've seen it. It's a mess. Yeah, even someone like Brandon Crawford's gone. Yeah, Crawford, I think just went in the last couple rounds. So, yeah. 
I don't know. Maybe Lennon Sosa ends up on this team, could play a lot of second base for the White Sox because uh, we saw Gene Segura find a team. Gene Segura is actually going to the Marlins to play third base. Not the White Sox, man. That's that's not what I ex- I didn't expect him to play third base anywhere, and I really thought the White Sox would be the team that made that move. Yeah, and he hasn't uh, he hasn't always shown the arm. I mean, he he got moved to second, not third, in the past, you know. Um, but uh, they've got an opening there, I guess. They've been moving Brian Anderson off. I, I, Brian Anderson's actually not on the team anymore. That's. That was that was a weird. That's been a weird career. I bet you somebody picks him up and he has a he has another asterisk on this career, a little. Mm-hmm. But uh, Segura and Wendell, I don't know about this team, man. I still just see too many zeros basically on offense. Who do you really believe in next year offensively? I mean, Chisholm and Segura is going to get some hits and be okay. But like that's you've got a you've got. Maybe a two hitter and a three hitter. Or we've talked a lot. Lead off and a second hitter. Who else? Who are your Who are your three through five on this? I think they're giving Jesus Sanchez another chance. I would assume Jorge Soler has a prominent role in the middle of the order for Thump. Jazz and Garcia to come back. Yeah, they're hoping uh, they're hoping for a Garcia rebound, a uh, JJ Blade step forward, something out of Brian De La Cruz, Jesus Sanchez figuring it out. I mean, I don't like it. I, I think they desperately need another bat, probably two. I think they're more likely to end up with one. But you think what's left? Who, who are they going to add that's going to make them a lot better? Unless they hook up with someone for a trade, because they've still got all that pitching depth. Going back to the deadline last year. We thought they were a team that could trade controllable pitching for an impact hitter. So maybe that's still to come because it is early enough in January. There have been some a blockbuster rumors trade about could happen. Tristan Cassis. That'd be interesting. Boston for for something and in, in some sort of package would have to be would have to be pitching, I guess. I guess I'd, I I know if if of all the things you could trade, if you're gonna trade a young hitter, trading a young corner guy is a lot easier to part with uh, than a, a middle of the middle of the middle yeah. guy. But if you're Boston, Cassis is supposed to be part of your future. Like it's another, it's another strange move that doesn't quite fit with all the other moves based on where they're sitting right now. Yeah, well, uh, it would be another another in a string of weird moves for Boston. I think at least I can make sense of the Segura training for for the Marlins in that they're trying to improve their offense. They're not going to spend a lot, and they're just going to. You know, try, you know, let's say Brian De La Cruz actually does have another gear. I mean, the one thing holding him back is he's got poor patience. The bad ball quality was pretty good. The the athleticism is pretty good. What if he just, you know, either gets lucky on batted balls or uh, just takes a step forward with the patience, then you might have a legit sort of right now. I'd say he's sort of a five, six hitter, but maybe you could get him up to like a four hitter with with a little bit of a step forward then you're kind of just looking, you're looking for a three hitter still, I think like sort of Soler Garcia are like bottom of the order, like, you know, hit it out kind of guys for me, but maybe one of them pops and has a better season. You're, and you're just trying to get an above average offense, right? You're not looking to get a league leading offense. You're just trying to get an above average offense. You're not spending a lot. You have a lot of starting pitchers. Your bullpen's pretty good. Segura makes sense. Boston's uh, off season has been so weird for me. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, Kenley Jansen's stuff plus is is pretty decent. He's not s- as reliant on velocity as, as some guys. 
and adding him to Barnes and Schreiber, I like that. The bullpen is better now. But in the meantime, you lost an all-everything shortstop that was super important to your team and also probably dinged your chances of extending Raphael Devers if you ever wanted to, um, which means you might have one year left of Raphael Devers. You spent $100 million on uh, like basically a Stephen Kwan in Yoshida, that, and that could go either way, you know? What is Stephen Kwan, Kwan next going to be next year if he has a little bit less bad ball luck, you know? And Enrique Hernandez is your is your center fielder with Christian Arroyo at second. Like, I don't know, just a lot of weird decisions for this team. They 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 did spend some, you know. They spent uh, 150 million dollars with Yoshida, Jansen, and Kluber, um, and Turner 160 million dollars. But um, it's a little bit like it really does remind me. We talked about this on uh, the 3O show. It does remind me a little bit of the Giants offseason, right? They bought a lot of little players and they've gotten a little better around the thing. And they were just like, you know, just trying to be better than average at every position and, you know, not trying to get into a $300 million contract. I get it. It sounds smart. But I still look at the team and say, are you that good? Trevor Story has a noodle for an arm, you know. Now he's your starting shortstop. Yeah, weirdly, weirdly weak up the middle because the catcher situation is unsettled right now, too. They've got Emmanuel Valdez is sort of interesting as a stopgap at second before you get to Nick York eventually and Marcelo Mayer. It's not it's not hopeless, but I do think those Giants comparisons are kind of appropriate because this is a team that should contend every year and should have been in on some legitimate top-end replacements if they lost Bogarts. And it seemed like they were silver or bronze in, in all the reports of uh, teams that fell short trying to add impact players. And the weird thing, you kind of look at what they did. They basically just got back to last year's level. I would imagine if you looked at the the war projections going into last season compared to where they're at right now, they're probably pretty similar because they lost J.D. Martinez. Yeah, they added Justin Turner, but they lost J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez ends up with the Dodgers, which now turns the the two signings into a trade, effectively. Who do you think has a better season at the plate in 2023 between Justin Turner and J.D. Martinez now that they're switching coasts. I mean, I like Justin <laughs> Turner's approach a little bit better. I think Martinez will play more games. Uh, I'll pick I'll pick Turner because the opposite field homer is dead. Okay. The thing I was surprised by, speaking of park factors, was just looking at Dodger has Stadium. has a little bit more defensive value than Martinez, right? Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's just, I mean, with Devers there, it's like you signed a guy who plays third. Like, that that's just weird. Like, why did you do that? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> for, for right-handed hitters, looking at the stack has three-year rolling park factors, Fenway is usually, in most metrics, a better place to hit. The only difference is that Dodger Stadium boosts homers for righties. So it's a downgrade for everything, a slight downgrade for everything, except homers, which to me is kind of an upgrade because that's part of what makes J.D. Martinez a good player. So I think it's a slight boost to him, better lineup around him. That helps as well. So I think I'm more interested in in J.D. Martinez, even with limitations and perhaps a slightly higher bit of injury risk. But J.D.'s a couple years younger than Justin Turner, too. I think, I think in my mind, I, I'm quick to think that J.D. Martinez, because he's mostly been a D.H. for so long, is like 38. He's not. He's quite a bit younger than that. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, age. Uh, 
The Red Sox as a team are projected for 0.7 wins more than the Pirates. Yeah, okay. So I'm sure people are really excited about that in Boston. <laughs> um, I mean, like how, how, how long till we're writing stories about how smart the Giants and Red Sox were this offseason and how these other teams have $25 million millstones or whatever. I mean, it's possible. Not it, it, the, the, the toughest thing about the, all those shortstop that got all those money is that people don't usually play shortstop uh, after 32-33. So most of those guys are going to be at shortstop. Like Correa might not even be at shortstop next year, but like most of those guys are going to be at shortstop for two to three years <laughs> on average. Right. So then you bought another seven years of them. But if you compare it to the deals that people are thinking a lot about right now, the end of the Miguel Cabrera contract and the end of the Albert Pujols contract, where those guys were first basemen who fell off into the, the DH void, at least if you fall off of shortstop, you land somewhere else that still I mean, adds some value. Turner aging the best because he can play center and second. Right. It, it, even if you end up, if you were a shortstop that one day had to move to left field, like okay, that you could, you'd probably be a good left fielder if you used to be a shortstop, mm-hmm. as opposed to a absolute flat tire, big negative sort of defensive player that a mashing first baseman becomes over the life of a long term deal. And that was a little bit of the reason there was a millstone around the ends of the contracts for Cabrera and Pools. If you look right. at it, uh, they were still. Uh, above average in a lot of those bad seasons with the bat it just uh they just had no defensive values well i mean we'll see we'll see it's just uh it's just uh, it's funny to me that there's like this idea of the rays you know you know trading guys and always always staying fast and loose and never really locking into anybody for too long and you know all this and now we've got the sort of second generation of raysism which is like that race uh going to the big markets uh, and their version of it is, I'm not going to get locked down to the long-term contracts. I'm going to spend $32 million for two years of Michael Conforto, or you know, I'm going to spend $32 million for two years of Mitch Hanniger. I'm going to win all the mid-level free agents because I have money now, and I can buy these guys and get better, 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 better. Um, but we're also going to stay out of the pool for the very top. Uh, it's also then you throw in the weirdness that the Giants did actually you know, get so close that they were actually about to sign Correa. <laughs> uh, plate in the ankle, I guess. Right. And, and compared to when we first started talking about the Giants not getting that deal done, it seems like everyone's in this new position of, oh, they were actually, they were being honest. It was it was something in the medicals. It wasn't ownership cold Just feet cold, or, yeah. or something else that, that led to this, this it's thing a big deal, especially up. to Cohen who seems to be throwing away money, throwing money around like he doesn't care, you know, for him to be like, eh, we need to talk about it. So, <laughs> right. Something actually is there. So uh, a few of us, maybe even in me and, and a few other folks, uh, we owe apologies to the, the giants because there is something going on there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Uh, let's talk about Brandon Drury for a second. I don't think we discussed him landing with the Angels, and I've noticed in some of the early drafts that people don't really want to buy into Brandon Drury's 2022 season. And I think part of that is that the projections, the early projections, at least Steamer, doesn't seem to want to buy into what Brandon Drury did in 2022. So I'll present this to you as more of an open question. Do you think that's right? Do you think the projection could could be rightfully pulling down Drury to a, a reasonable level? Or do you think it's an overcorrection based on some some partial seasons in the big leagues between 2020 and 2021. There's two things going on. One is a sort of regression of his power because he did have the best uh, power of his career, but also, you know, the best barrel rates and the best uh, second best max EV. And, you know, definitely in some ways you could say he earned it, but at the same time you would regress a barrel rate. If he had a career seven and a half percent barrel rate and last year he had a career, he had a 10 and a half. You would you would regress that back to his career barrel rates to some extent, and that's that's what's going on there. But there's a second thing that's sort of underlying, which is there's a depth chart thing, which is they're putting him underneath 500 plate appearances. Last year he got 570, um, and uh, you could think that they would sign him to be a starter, and he would get 650. Uh, so you know. If he got 650, even at the regressed power level, he would get close to 25 homers again. You know, so wouldn't actually play as that much of a regression. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then you have to look at the Angels and sort of ask yourself, you know, what is the plan here? Is it super sub uh, and uh, Renhifo and Fletcher? Uh, and Ursula are going to, pl- you know, play also as as much as he is. Um, is someone going to win the starting the shortstop job outright, and the, the other two battle it out for backing up Rendon and playing second base, uh, or is there going to be a clear third guy who is definitely just, you know, we plug him in when we have nobody else? Is that Fletcher? So. You know, is Fletcher going to be the starting shortstop and Renhifo is the, you know what I mean? There's basically three guys for two spots here and one of them is going to be the loser. And that's why the depth charts puts Drury at 500 plate appearances. But if you think somebody, one of the other guys is going to be the loser, there's still some value in Drury. Yeah. So just based on where he was played between both the Reds and the Padres last year, Brandon Drury played the most at third base. 67 games he appeared at third. 27 games he appeared at second, 30 games he appeared over at first. And this this is the type of player that I would worry less about on a different depth chart because he's really a DH that has a lot of gloves. They 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 use him at those other places yeah, he's not, he's, I mean, as above average was above one one above average. So, he's not I, I like my eyes my eyes disagree. <laughs> I have a hard time buying that over longer stretches of time. Like I think yeah. he's not awful, but I would like him so much better on a team that didn't have all of its DH playing time allocated to a star. Yeah. W- without Otani. And Jury hasn't in the played DH a lot spot, of outfield, right? He played one game in the outfield with the Reds last year. One inning. I remember Daniel Murphy you know, was was pretty awful in the outfield. <laughs> He's he was an okay, you know, defender at, during during his peak in the infield, but uh, he just couldn't hack in the outfield. Some guys just can't 
can't really play it. Just don't see the ball that that way. So seems like he's a defender if he's played that few games and uh, an infielder. And the question of defense is, I think Fletcher and Renhifo have better defense. So maybe it depends on who's pitching. Maybe it depends on who else is healthy. I, I could see the well, playing he's a right-hander time. too. So it depends on who's pitching. <laughs> I could see where they get the playing time number from. The, the playing time projection makes sense on this depth chart, but then you start to think about who those other players are and Anthony Rendon's injury history, as much as I like him, that is a problem. That could open up a ton of time for him. Yeah, but he it's the kind of thing that it does make sense, but it's like you give him most, uh, you give him like basically every at-bat at second against the lefty, right? That's where you start. And then you he backs up Rendon at third. Um, and then he might get some at DH. That's where he's listed on the depth chart. Yeah, I would think even there's a chance that if Rendon's hurt, Drury just plays first because Urshela slides over to the other. I think Urshela's the better defender at third. Yeah, Urshela is the second guy on the shortstop depth chart. So then it also depends on the health of Jared Walsh at first base. Walsh is a lefty, Urshela and Drury Thoracic are righties. outlet surgery. Right, and Walsh took a step back last year, and we wondered how much of that was the injury like before he was out with it, and and how much of that was just skills loss. Like that was that was hard to parse out. But at so. least they built what looks like a representative team that has a lot of. Uh, you know, there is some opportunity for advancement based on young players. Uh, you know, maybe Renhifo just takes shortstop and runs with it. There are some things we like about his prof- profile. Logan Ohapi behind the plate could be a plus uh, offensive player. Walsh could get back to his old level. And then you've got the veterans and, and Rendon and Trout and Otani that you, you, you kind of, you're betting on if they got, if you got a good full year of health from them, uh, you do well. And then you're hoping that Reed Detmers and uh, some of their young players take like a, a step forward there with the, the starting pitching. You've improved the, the reliever squad. I mean, it's a it's a representative team. I don't know. Uh, the Angels right now are uh, three games up on the Giants uh, and basically right in the mix for around fifteenth in the league. So, if those all those things I said go right, then they can be better. Uh, I don't know how that. I I, I think I'm not going to be heavy in on Drury though. It just seems like a little bit of a mess. The thing that I like about him, though, especially in a league where you can't make moves like a draft and hold, first, second, and third base mm-hmm. eligibility is really nice. I feel like that that offsets the playing time risk. But once we get to the leagues throughout most of, of draft season where you have in-season pickups, I'm a little less interested because that versatility becomes less important to me in those instances than it is to me in this part of draft season. I do think the Angels did a good job of patching up those holes to the point where if they have a couple of injuries, they're not necessarily going to completely deflate while guys are on the IL the way they're built right now. That is a change from recent years. So they've done really well in that regard. In, in past years, we looked at them and said, if it, it's a top-heavy roster, if these guys break, they're done. I don't think that's necessarily the case for them right now, uh, around yeah, the infield especially. Over. They can paper over some some issues, yeah. So uh, a couple other small hitter things just to get to in passing. I'm starting to wonder if Will Myers might be the next Brandon Drury because he ended up in Cincinnati. And Mm -hmm. when you take a look at year-over-year park factors changes, Will Myers going from Petco to Great American Ballpark is going to be one of the biggest winners 
of this offseason as far as going to an easier environment to hit home runs. Yeah, and as bad as it, it might have felt uh, through the process of watching him age and come off of a career season in 2017, Myers has been above average uh, for all but two seasons of his career, and one of those was a 97 WRC+, plus, so it wasn't even that bad. And even though his defense has never been a plus-plus, uh, it's also only once been double-digit negative. So he's kind of uh, someone that, if you gave him a full season, would be a league average player. Um, and so I do think he'll he'll find a place to play. Um, where is that place? Where have you got him playing? I think he's going to play entirely in the outfield. Yeah. They're, they're a train wreck on their depth chart right now. So until the young guys are ready... There's no one. There's no one pushing him off. The I think spot. they have can make three right waiver field. claims in left field. Is that three? It's between, isn't TJ wasn't TJ Friedel a waiver waiver claim? Mm, I have to look that one up. Nick Solak's out there. He's the other big Park Factors winner. No, by the way. Friedel came up through their organization. They they do have three uh, waiver claims behind Friedel. They have Friedel, Stuart Fairchild, Jake Fraley, and oh, that might have been a trade. Matt Reynolds. Is he a, a waiver claim? Or a minor league free agent. Jake Fraley might have been a trade. Fraley, I think, came back in the Castillo deal, didn't he? Yeah, and then Nick Solak. Anyway, it's it's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah, Will Myers uh, should get full playing time. In fact, uh, it might be a little bit low uh, to project him for 540 plate appearances because I think a lot of the plate appearance lows that he's hit in the last few years, one was 2020. Um, and then last year was just a team got better around him, right? So there just wasn't playing time for him because he wasn't necessarily better than like Juan Soto, you know, <laughs> um, which is not going to be a problem in, in Cincinnati. So um, I, I could see him getting to 600 plate appearances, 25 homers, 250 batting average, maybe with the stolen base things, uh, getting to 510 stolen bases. Like he's a sounds like a, a, a draft day value. Where is he going? Good question. I'm going to get an ADP report going here in just a second. The the other thing about Myers, he had a knee injury last year, aside from the team getting better. So that cost mm-hmm. him time as well. And I think that also could have been part of an explanation for why he didn't run quite as much, right? Mm-hmm. Those long tail steals. But it also, yeah, but does that mean he's going to, he's necessarily going to come back and steal? I'll revise that stolen base uh, projection down a little bit. Take the over on like five and a half if you if that's right. where you want to put the line. I I think I think you could do that. Where does he go? That's another question. I usually have ADP like constantly open too. I'm a little disappointed yeah, in myself I, right yeah, now. I forgot I forgot to put the tab on, but I usually rely on you. Well, the draft room has him at three seventy five. So I mean, now that he's got a team probably closer to pick three hundred, but that's yeah. basically free. Yeah, I think I might. I think I might take. Uh, I might have some shares of him. Good filler and everything about his park factors got better with the move to Cincinnati. Even though that supporting cast is understandably a bit worse, uh, Michael Brantley stays with the Astros, so not much to get uh, into there. But Bly Madras ends up in Houston. I think Houston is one of those teams. You know, when they end up with a player, kind of through waivers or small trades. I'm always keeping an extra eye on that player to see if there's something in the profile that I might have previously missed. Yeah, I've always uh, been a little bit interested in Bly Madras because he doesn't really chase balls. 
Um, and he's shown in the past the the potential for, you know, like close to double digit walk rates and a below than below twenty percent strikeout rate. So the plate skills are pretty interesting there in terms of being able to make contact and uh, showing a good eye. Uh, the batted ball power of you know 4.9 percent barrel rate uh, 109 max ev leaves me a little bit um shy of uh, giving him the thumbs up in terms of you know maybe he doesn't hit the ball that hard but uh <clears throat> they could use some help in center field so you know i know he's played mostly right field uh for pittsburgh but if they saw something defensively uh that they like uh there is some opportunity there for them uh in center field yeah, I was kind of curious if he could play it and just hadn't played it a lot in the Pirates organization because of other players being better suited to handle that spot. That would be his best path to playing time in Houston if uh, if the opportunity arises. Let's go to the pitcher side of some recent moves. How about Jamison Tyon to the Cubs? I think he's another Park Factors winner if you just want to look at Home runs at Yankee Stadium. If you're a right-handed pitcher and lefties have that short porch, that's a, a boost that's working against you. Going into Wrigley, pitching a lot of those games with the wind blowing in, that should help curb any uh, home run concerns people might have had about Tyon. Yeah, and uh, you know he's kind of uh, uh, he's an interesting guy where he's basically by stuff plus got uh, four seam, change, curve, cutter and slider that are all average or a little bit better with stuff. And uh, he can really command the four seam, uh, the curve and the slider. So, uh, you know, he's got a lot of pitches he can, he can command. Uh, he can a lot of pitches that have pretty good stuff and a lot of pitches he can command. I do think that there's the opportunity to maybe tweak the mix, uh, maybe throw the sinker less or, uh, throw the four seam less, but um, you know, become a truly sort of hard to uh, predict uh, pitcher where he's uh, a little bit like an upscale Ross Stripling. Um, you know, where you know he just he throws everything twenty percent of the time, kind of a deal. Um, but um, that's that might be damning him with faint, faint praise, uh, but uh, the fart factors got better, and he's in a he's in a good position there to to take advantage. I think he'll be a good pitcher. One question is uh, he's fairly extensive injury history, so I don't know how many innings you want to project for him. Yeah, I I do like this fit. Uh, I think where he's going in drafts, he's being treated sort of like a, I think an SP four, SP five in a fifteen team league. He's fine in that range. I think he might even be a little better than that when the dust clears. ADP kind of in that post pick two hundred range, even close to two fifty in a lot of instances. Should have at least a good WHIP. Could have a better ERA uh, with the Cubs than he had with the Yankees too because of those park changes. I like that he does have that deep arsenal too. And we've talked about this a lot over the years. Is a trait that helps a pitcher age a little more gracefully if they don't have premium velocity is having that deep arsenal of pitches they can use to really keep hitters off balance. Uh, Nathan Evaldi ends up with the Rangers, and it seems like the Rangers are embracing risk at all price points now with that pitching staff, with Evaldi joining Jacob deGrom and Andrew Heaney at the top three of a completely rebuilt rotation. Yeah, Ivaldi is really interesting because he had one of the better stuff pluses uh, overall among the uh, among free agents 
Uh, free agent starters, of course, started with Jake DeGrom. And then uh, Ivaldi uh, slotted in right behind Carlos Rodon uh, among starting pitchers in terms of stuff. Plus, um, hiding in there was a little bit of an issue where over the course of the year, he lost about two ticks on the fastball. And in fact, even his uh, stuff plus uh, showed that he had basically around a 90 stuff plus on the fastball, uh, you know, for the last few starts. And uh, it was a 96 on the year. So his four seam fastball is getting soft um, and it's getting, it was got worse over the course of the season. I, I would be interested. I, they also, though, got him on a pretty short term non-expensive deal like if you think about it you can have Corey kluber for like what was it 10 or 11 million or nadia valdi for two times 16 yeah i'd take any valdi um you know even with all the risk it's a two-year deal it's short and i think he can be better if he is healthy um yeah two year 34 to two and 17 um so i i think it was a good i think it was a good risk i think it was a good one to do um, you know, he's been, he's been throwing the, the four seamer less, um, you know, over the course of his career, but he did not throw it his career least last year. So he could throw it even less. And I think that might be a good idea. Yeah, it's also interesting just comparing his contract to Jamison Tyon, who we just talked about four for 68 for Tyon was the commitment the Cubs had to make Tyon's 31, maybe the injury history because it's not all arm injuries for Tyon, maybe it's a little less problematic than it is for Evaldi. But in terms of where they're going in drafts right now, they're in the exact same range. So I'm curious, who do you like better for 2023 only between Tyon and Evaldi? I'm going to I'm biased towards Stuff Plus. Uh, Evaldi had a better Stuff Plus, even their fastball Stuff Plus. Right now, um, we're starting. We're just starting the process of creating uh, stuff plus uh, pitcher projections, overall pitcher projections that are powered by stuff plus and location plus pitching plus. Um, and uh, I have a an inkling that maybe fastball stuff plus is a little bit stickier year to year than anything else, and uh, maybe a little bit more important year to year. These guys have equal fastball stuff plus. Ivaldi has better other pitches. Uh, by Stuff Plus has shown better locations in the past. They're both good on locations. And I think Eovaldi has the better use case in that I know without looking at the weather format that his home situation is going to be a good one in terms of his home park. Uh, I think that is a better situation than no, and the having to like figure out if Wrigley's going to pay pitching friendly or hitting friendly today. You know what I mean? Yeah, in weekly leagues, you don't know necessarily what's going to happen. If it's, you're setting your lineup on Monday and the start's coming Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you get a forecast, but you know it's wind. It, it tends to, uh, to change a little bit uh, day of. So I, I can I see would, that being the I case. I would rather not pitch both of these. I, both of these guys are in that sort of territory where I'd rather not have to pitch them every every game they pitch. I think if there was one that I had to use all the time, I think I'd rather use Evaldi all the time. I think by a small yeah. margin. But do, do you agree that you might? Yeah. Yeah. The projections are better. The the stuff is better. I agree. Yeah. More cases. And uh, it, it's interesting um, in that he'll probably be good or injured. Right. Um, which sometimes is easier to deal with. <laughs> you know? Like, especially in certain leagues, like maybe an AL only 
uh, where you you do want the innings, uh, but you know someone who is bad and gonna pitch all year is uh, less valuable than someone who's going to be good or injured. Right, you get a replacement for the injured player, but you keep using the guy who's struggling because the replacement doesn't doesn't stand out in a mono league. Jeff Zimmerman uh, produced a a table today on Twitter um, that was sort of call it's his book. The process uh, is out again, and it's a really excellent book. And in in the process of that, he he showed players that on winning teams. But today he he tweeted out. Uh, players that were on losing teams last year, the, the players that were on the most <laughs> losing teams last year, uh, and Jose Barrios and Lucas Giolito were up there, and that's that's who I think of when I'm like, oh man, if a guy is like bad but in all season, <laughs> oh, and it's worse. The earlier you drafted that player, the, the more, more likely gonna, you are oh, to keep gotta, believing. Ah, uh, he's, 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 he's gonna turn around. around. <laughs> yeah, he's just bad, just bad luck. Just, and I've I have told myself that story before. I'm not saying this is a mistake that only other people make. I find it really difficult to accept being wrong with early picks, especially somebody you took yeah. in the first six, seven rounds is just not the same person you expect them to be. You don't That's recognize why. that in April. You might you might by July go. Oh, okay, it's been half a season. <laughs> his his actual team seems legitimately worried about him now. Now I can maybe bench him, but you just absorb 15 to 20 starts of somebody yeah, being and terrible. <clears throat> that's actually a little bit of why I like uh, Evaldi a little bit better because both these guys may not, they may not be the kind of guys that stay on your roster all season. Like they're getting drafted in that part. There's a part of your draft where those guys have like what, like a 30% chance of making it to the end of the end of the season on your roster. You know what I mean? That's our, we're not drafting these guys up at the top. We're drafting to the place where you're lucky if they make it to the end of the season on your roster. And so which of these, which one of these two is going to do something early that you can say, ah, I like, I don't like Ivaldi. He's either going to come out throwing 93s and you go, Ooh, 93s and 92s. See you later. And he'd be on that list of guys. I mean, you're, you're always looking for velo changes in either direction in spring training, but he's one you should oh, have yeah. flagged. Like, how is he throwing the ball when spring training begins? If he's showing plenty of life on that fastball, then and, and, no and don't buy the like, oh, he's throwing 96 today. Oh, he threw one inning and topped out at 96. No, yeah, you're looking for outings where it's multiple innings. You, you need you need more than one inning. Yeah. The other things that started to happen were on the relief side. Craig Kimbrell goes to Philadelphia, and I chickened out. I looked at the model. I was going to pick him in that DC as my second closer, probably sometime in the round, I don't know, 14, 15 range. I'll see where he actually went. And I couldn't do it, you know? So tell me why it can work for Craig Kimbrell in Philadelphia. Tell me how he might actually ease late inning concerns of Phillies fans. This is absolutely what the Phillies have bu- have built their bullpen on. He's he fits right into it. It's amazing. They are they believe and this is I I don't know this from inside knowledge. I know this from their moves and I know this from the research from into stuff plus and pitching plus, which is stuff plus is is tighter year to year. Is t- more tightly correlated year to year. Players hold on to their stuff plus especially relievers and pitching plus is amazing with relievers. And that's because it values stuff plus 
And then, you know, their year-to-year, their year-to-year locations aren't as important for relievers, first of all. And then if they, if it's out, you just sort of hew closer to Stuff Plus. Think about the guys they've come in. Jose Alvarado, there are, there are years on his, on his ledger where he has no idea where the ball is going. You know, he has a, he had an eight walks per nine with Tampa Bay in 2019. Eight. He had <laughs> 7.6 with 20, in his first year with Phillies. And they held on to him. They didn't cut him. They, you know, they didn't try to get rid of him. He ended up being a really important part of their team last year, almost worth two wins as a reliever, and cut his walks to four and a, four and four and a quarter. So, you know, this comes over and over again. Con- Connor Brogdon is a guy who had uh, who had some issues with uh, with 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 uh, control. Uh, who's the guy? Coonrod, the guy they got from San Francisco. Uh, had uh, a five walks per nine in his rookie season. Even last year, he had basically five walks per nine. They bet on bad command, good stuff. They've done it over and over again. They did it again with Kimbrell because Kimbrell's stuff was still pretty good last year. And they're going to slot him in. I can't tell you where because I don't know what his command is yet. You know, And I think it's going to be an, a sort of tight spring for people who have drafted Keg Kimbrell because I really like Sir Anthony Dominguez. And all things being equal, I think I would give Sir Anthony Dominguez the closer ball. Just on talent. You know? Uh, but they gave Kimbrell $10 million. They'll keep Sir Anthony Dominguez cheaper if he's not the closer. And if Kimbrell comes in and can locate the ball, then he's their closer. So Anthony Dominguez gets the four, five, six guys in the seventh inning. Yeah, I, I think as as draft season rolls along, there's a possibility that Kimbrell could creep up though to like pick 150. Right now, he's outside the top 200 in January ADP. We're talking about three drafts, so it's not <laughs> it's not a very firm. I think we could see Kimbrell end up in more of a toss up where you're looking at Kimbrell. I mean, Camilo Doval, because of the Taylor Rogers edition, is now a little bit uncertain because we know the Giants want to mix and match. We could see two or three guys splitting up 40 saves for the Giants. It could be 20-10-10 or it could be 35-5. There's, there's lots of ways this could, could play out. I think Kimbrel's more in that group right now of probably has the job, probably has at least a bigger share of a share initially if that's how it plays out. And ratios are kind of comparable to your Scott Barlow's, your Doval's, like the the guys that are in that 150 to 200 range overall, which is it's not a fun place to live as you're looking for closers. Yeah, either way, it's uh, he's not a closer one. And then if if you're buying him as a closer two, you're buying a high end closer two, I think, in terms of price. That's what you're talking about, right? That's sort of a high end closer two and a high end closer two, I think is a bad deal. Right. So maybe fine right now, but if that price keeps ticking up, yikes. Yeah. I want the back end of each closer tier. I want to get a, a, a top closer, and I don't think Kim, like Kimbrel's not it. <laughs> He's my closer one. I'm really in trouble. Uh, but if I if I got him my closer two, I feel like I might have overspent on my closer two. What's your interest level in Taylor Rogers right now? Because I think people like Doval enough where Rogers could fit the description of being back of that tier. I think Doval gets priced up. Roger still mm. lags a little bit behind. I like both of them. I, I think of Rogers as a tier below. 
because Duvall was kind of the closer all year. Yeah, and he looks he looks good. Like I, I think the nobody the control... in Philadelphia was the closer all year. Mm-mm. There's no incumbent. So if we were going to say at least two guys getting the bulk of the saves, you'd you'd put Duvall kind of in the top bucket, twenty plus saves. Mm-hmm. Maybe Taylor Rogers is the number two option with like eight to ten. That's that's more more along the lines of how you'd project. I would them right love now. to get Taylor Rogers as my third closer. As a third, all right. Yeah, that that yeah. might be reasonable for now. Because I think if you look at the January drafts, pick two eighty. That's more like a closer three. Mm-hmm. Doable in that price range. It makes their bullpen better. I do like Taylor Rogers. I think he's coming off of a a disappointing season. Kind of a fun story that he's now teammates with his twin brother, Tyler. Uh, the twins yeah, that have nothing similar. Opposite hands, totally different deliveries. Very strange. Um, yeah, cool that they're going to be in the same same clubhouse now all season. Uh, two other pitchers just throwing at you real quick. Drew Rusinski, who's now with the A's. And then Michael Givens, who's been reunited with the Orioles. Givens is kind of an easy one because as long as Felix Batista's healthy, that dude's the closer. Like That, that one's already decided. But how do you see Rusinski kind of fitting in with Oakland? They're the best pitches of the year, and Felix Bautista had the number one four-seam fastball and the number one split finger, you know, I, I lumped split fingers into the changeup. So basically the number one changeup and the number one four-seam fastball. So yes, I believe in Felix Bautista. Um, Rosinski, you know, the story in the past uh, that I've heard from guys like Ryan Vogelsong um, was that uh, there's sometimes a tougher strike zone for foreigners in these leagues uh, in Japan and Korea. And so it uh, really hones your your walk rate. Um, and I, I think Rusinski uh, in the past had, you know, had some pretty good walk rates, uh, but um, it was struggling. He was struggling a little bit in the major leagues uh, with average to worse than average walk rates. Um, if he comes back with, uh, you know, the ability to strike out eight guys per nine and keep the walk rate under two per nine, um, I could see him being uh, a value member of that starting rotation. And no matter what, Oakland is a great place to, to pitch. And so I really like him as an end game guy, um, where I've looked at the schedule and he's probably going to start at home you know in the first couple of weeks and i can uh decide if he's going to stay on the roster as a guy who plays for me at home like cole irvin or paul blackburn who were not great pitchers themselves uh, who gave a lot of people great value last year so rusinski could totally be someone who you know slides into that kind of bucket yeah and I've they could looking... slide out so like i'm not i'm not spending a lot on irvin or blackburn either <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at their rotation right now where I see Irvin and Blackburn starting the year in the rotation. They've got their spots. Waldachuk probably has the inside track to be in that starting five. Kyle Muller has nothing left to prove at AAA, so I would think he's at least a legitimate contender, if not already penciled into a spot. And then you've got Rusinski and J.P. Sears, James Caprillian of Healthy, Tarnock, all those guys initially fighting for that fifth spot, but it, all it takes is an injury to open another spot or just someone underperforming, and we're talking about relievers. You also have to think about um, about options and team sort of dynamics. So I actually think Kyle Moeller 
could easily end up in the minor leagues. Because you just say, we want to work with you. We want some, we have some things we want to work with you on. You have an option left, right? Rusinski, <laughs> I don't think, is going to come in with an option. You know what I mean? Uh, I, w- I would assume he's he out has of to options. Play in the major leagues. Yeah, I, I think he has to play in the major leagues. So I think that means Rusinski's got the inside track for, I don't know, the fourth spot. You know, it goes Irvin, Blackburn, Caprelli, and Rutsinski, and then Waldachuk, Muller, and Sears all have options. So those guys are all pitching for the fifth spot in spring. That's the group that I, I want to see all the young starters. I want to see all the all the guys they've been trading for. Bring all those guys in. Yeah, but uh, I think if they're bad, you know, they're set it up so that if they're bad again, and looking at this lineup, I would assume they're going to be bad again. Um they will have uh, plenty of starting pitching available and starting pitching in season is uh, usually in demand. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's not the kind of starting pitching where you get like their best prospects. I don't think any other team is like, Ooh, we're going to give you, you know, a top 10 prospect for urban Blackburn or Caprellian. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the situation the Tigers were in years ago with Matthew Boyd, where they were kind of rumored to be shopping him. They never did. He got hurt. Didn't really work out. Um, same kind of thing with John Means. Means got hurt for the Orioles, where it was like, oh, there's years of control left, so he might bring back something. And it's like, eh. They're not going to get the windfall that they want. I guess the thing that makes the A's different, they seem to value quantity over quality, so maybe they'd be more so willing get four to work something out. Interesting guys. Right. And just keep loading up. But the four interesting guys is how you end up with like eh, Jordan Diaz and Mc- I like jo- I like Jordan Pride Diaz. He needs to hit the ball harder, but I like Jordan Diaz. Yeah. Like name an A that you like. Capel. <laughs> like Ramon Ramon Laureano. I still like him. I like Capel. Capel's pretty interesting. Connor Capel. Uh, 17% strikeout rate last year. Maybe he strikes out 18, 90% this year. 8.5% walk rate last year. He could he could walk more. He's been walking more in the minor leagues. Uh, 7% bell rate, 109 max EV. Not amazing, but he has put up like sort of near 200 ISOs. So, and he, and he can run a little bit and he can play defense in the outfield. I think he's going to play most of the time. Yeah, he's he's probably a Plus good he's a lefty. Really, really late target for some of these deeper leagues that people are in right now. Should see if he's available. Has a lot of ways to become a useful contributor for us uh, for fantasy purposes. <laughs> Maybe that'll be a segment like once a month. Name an A that you like. Just, just name <laughs> just name one. Oh man, the roster's changing all the time. Sorry, so Oakland can, fans, that's true too. <laughs> it, it'll be a new segment every thirty days. Well, these, yeah. these guys weren't here before, so it's just so that's a little vaguely condescending. <laughs> I mean, it's not not meant to be mean. Rooted it's more in truth, fun. Yes, yeah, oh, just rooted, rooted in Oakland, rooted in truth. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note, uh, we are going to sign off for the day. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com if you got emails for a future episode. I think on our next episode, I wanted to focus on uh, some of the broader draft season trouble spots. So if you've noticed anything in early drafts, uh, an example is 
the outfield pool seems to be thin. That is something we've seen a lot of people tweet about and write about and mention so far. Observations like that, we'll address some of those. Then we've got our position preview series starting up in the near future as well. Got a little space from the position review series from 2022. We're closing in on position preview season for 2023. So that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you next week. Thanks for listening. 